Tonight we're talking about the the phrase, the idea, the fact, is it not written? Is it not written? We're going to start in Joshua chapter 10 with one of the most unusual circumstances the Bible records. We'll see that it's written here in Joshua, but in Joshua there's a record of this thing, this, this situation, this circumstance being recorded somewhere else. So let's talk about this. This is when Joshua fought the Amorites. And he didn't think he had enough time to finish the battle, so he asked God to make the sun and the moon stand still, and God did that. He listened to Joshua, and he caused the moon and the sun to stand still. This is Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged themselves on their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? The book of Jasher. That's, that's got to be one of the minor prophets, right? No, no, it's not a minor prophet, not a major prophet, but it is a historical book. And when this was written, people knew what that book would be. And the author of this is saying it's recorded here, but it's also recorded in the book of Jasher. There were other books that historical things were recorded in. And this book is saying there's a legitimate record of this taking place in the book of Jasher, that the moon and the sun would stand still. And just a kind of a parenthetical thing on this. It's interesting. Sometimes I look at what um, commentaries say about things like this, and so I checked it out. And there were a lot of explanations about how this really didn't mean what it says it it meant, because I think it's just so hard for people to grasp that the sun and the moon would stand still. Because we look at the system of the way things are, well, if that happened, then this would happen, then that would happen. But I have to ask myself this question. If I read the first verse of the Bible and it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then I read the first book of John's Gospel and it says that Jesus was the one who was there and he basically spoke everything into existence, I really don't think God's going to have a problem with making the sun and the moon stand still. And if he put that in his book, I think that's what he did. And sometimes I wonder about people who try to explain away things like that. And I wonder if if God's up in heaven and he's kind of giving it one of these looks like that, like out of the, you look, you make your eyes go over to the side and you tilt your head because, hey, what are you thinking you're doing there? Because he told us what he did. Now, The whole point of this lesson is not whether or not he did that. I believe he did. It's recorded for that. But the writer also says this same thing is recorded in the book of Jasher. We don't have the book of Jasher with us today, but the author says that's another place where you can go and check it out, and those people who were there then could have done that. But if you keep going a little bit farther to 2 Samuel chapter 1, 2 Samuel chapter 1, sounds familiar, doesn't it? A lot of people who are in the class, the the Samuel class, because we looked at this this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17. Then David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son. Jonathan and Saul had been killed in battle. David had great respect for Saul because he was the Lord's anointed. And for his personal relationship that he had, even though Saul was doing everything he could to kill him, David kept showing grace and mercy and love towards Saul, but especially uh, through Jonathan. Jonathan was his, his best friend, beloved friend. And now he's lost them both. And so he writes this lament. 
or some might call it a dirge, whatever it is, it's written here in First Samuel or Second Samuel chapter one. But it says, David chanted this lament over Saul and Jonathan, and he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. So the book of Jasher is mentioned again. Won't be the last time it's mentioned, but it's the last time we'll talk about it. I just wanted you to see that it's in here twice. That there's a record here, just like there was a record in Joshua, but there's also a record of this these events in the book of Jasher. So a little farther. We get to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. We read this in verse 41. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and whatever he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? What's the book of the acts of Solomon? That, that's not in the Bible, is it? Well, it is if you consider this verse to speak of it. In other words, it's mentioned here. It's not a, a canonical book in the sense that it's not included in the works that we consider or that have been considered from the Holy Spirit. But it's a legitimate book of history. And this author is saying that as well as being recorded here, the Acts of Solomon are recorded in a book that's called the Acts of Solomon. So we know there is that record as well. A little farther, First Kings chapter 14. Verse 19, remember we're talking about things that are written down, things that have been recorded. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Aha! Chronicles. We are familiar with the Chronicles. In our translation and in our version of the Bible, we have First and Second Chronicles. And this is a reference to those chronicles. And if you continue to do a little research, you'll find, I, I stopped counting at 35. There are more than 35 references to the chronicles noted in these histories. So, well, that makes sense because that's an inspired work and it's included in the, the collection of scripture. So let's go to Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 29. In verse 29, 1 Chronicles 29, 29, says, Now the acts of King David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel the seer, in the chronicles of Nathan the prophet, and in the chronicles of Gad the seer. Now, we don't know for sure. It may well be, however, that the chronicles of Samuel the seer is First and Second Samuel, and it may well be that 1 Samuel was completed, as well as 2 Samuel being written by these other two prophets, Nathan and Gad, because they were both mentioned in 1 Chronicles. So we're familiar with these guys. We know their names. We, we see them written into the history. They may have finished uh, the Chronicles of Samuel so that we now have 1 and 2 Samuel. Initially, however, uh, it was just one book. And it's become two, it's been split and made into two, perhaps for simplicity. But for whatever reason, we're seeing here a reference to things that are written down in another place other than where they're written here. What's, what's the point of all this, Marty, you might ask? History is written down for us. 
But what we have here is not all that's written down. God has made sure that these things are written for us, and he tells us, oh, yes, it's written here, but it's also written in some other places. But guess where everything is written? Everything is written in heaven. We'll look at a few passages that give us that very idea, but first I want us to go to... No, don't want to go there. First we'll go to John or Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Because not everything that was written was simply a historical event. Other things were written that were historical but were perhaps more personal. Matthew chapter 26. Normally when we go to chapter 26 of Matthew, what are we looking at? We go there a lot because we're, we're looking for the Lord's Supper. Often on Sunday mornings, uh, whoever's presiding at the table will use the text from Matthew 26, and, and that's good. This is a good place to go for that because that's, this is exactly, uh, chronologically, this is the first place we read of it in the scriptures, Matthew's gospel. We see it in the other gospels as well, but especially here. But before that takes place, we see what happens in chapter 26 of Matthew's gospel in verse 6. When Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when it says he reclined at the table, that simply means uh, they didn't have a large high table with chairs pulled up to it like we have. They had a low table, kind of like a coffee table, and they would put pillows, cushions on the floor, recline on those pillows with one elbow, and and eat off the table with the other hand. And that's what Jesus was doing, reclining at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this. When they saw the woman anoint Jesus' head with this costly perfume. And they asked the question, why this waste? This perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. One more verse. I'd, I'd like to know <laughs> if Jesus thought, guys, what's up, man? <laughs> what an insult. What a waste. You're anointing Jesus with oil. What a waste. But he didn't respond that way. Exactly. This is what he said. Why do you bother the woman? She's done a good deed to me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Isn't that interesting? Do you think she knew what Jesus had been telling them all the while, or at least for a long while, he'd been telling them over and over and over, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and the third day I'm going to raise again. But none of them were cabbaging on to this. Cabbaging on. Is that, uh, everybody understand cabbage and on? All right. I'm a vegetarian, so I just thought I'd throw that in. Right. They weren't getting it. Was she? It doesn't say that she did. It doesn't say that she completely understood it. But, but this is how Jesus saw this, and this is how he reported it to us. This woman has anointed me for my burial. Maybe she did get it. Maybe she was listening a little bit more deeply than the others were and she understood this. But for whatever reason she did this, Jesus then says, Truly I say to you, verse 13, 
Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of me in memory of her. Is it not written? Yes, it's written. It's written what this woman did. Now, at this point, we don't even know her name. You can read some of the other accounts. Some of them are, are very much like this. Some of them are similar, but it's like, what? I'm, I'm not sure if that's the same one. There's another account in John chapter 12 of, of Mary anointing Jesus' uh, feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And it's hard to distinguish one from the other, which one is which, or if they're all different, or if some of them are the same. But the bottom line is, we can't know for sure who this is, who this woman is. But what she did, it's been recorded for everyone to see. Think about what it'll be like, because I, I just have it in mind that at some point in glory, if there's a point in glory, as, as a point in time, since eternity is not time, we'll see this woman, we'll meet this woman, we'll know this woman. We'll, you're the one. You're the one who did that. You're the one that Jesus thought enough of what you did that he said, it's going to be written down. People are going to hear about this. Wouldn't it be something to be that woman? Because think about some of the things that were written down about the apostles. Mm, not all complimentary. What did they argue about all the time? Who was the greatest? And I'm, I'm kind of glad they did. For a couple of reasons. Number one, it shows me that I'm not that different than they are. I'm petty. I'm small. So were they. Okay. These are the guys that Jesus picked? Yeah, because that's the way everybody is. You're not going to find any better than that. And I can't remember the other reason. <laughs> that was one of What was the other reason? Well, I'm sure it was profound. Anyway, should have written it down. I'll think of it later, and that'll be another sermon, all right? That'll, that'll be, is it not written, part two? See, that should have been written. I should have written that down, and then I would have remembered it. But anyway, just remember, there's another profound reason why, why that's good. But what this woman did was written down. And everything's written down. Everything's recorded. I don't know how, but I know that it is. Because if you look back in Matthew chapter 12, and this, this is one of my least favorite passages of Scripture, in all the Bible, least favorite, if that sounds disrespectful, it's not. I don't mean it to be disrespectful at all. It's, it's just kind of ominous. Matthew chapter 12, this is what we read starting at verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what's good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Whoo! What else is recorded? Is it not written? Everything that I have spoken, everything that's come out of my mouth, everything that's come out of your mouth is written down. Wow. Jesus says, by your words you'll be justified, and by your words... You'll be condemned. Everything's written down. Everything's on record. Sounds scary. It sounds bad. It sounds 
at this point, what hope do we have if, if everything I've said is written down and if I'm going to have to face that in judgment, one of these? And think about that judgment. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul brings us back to this idea of, of the record being there. And that the judgment, how we'll face it. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? We persuade men. What do we persuade men about? What does Paul say we persuade men of? Knowing that we will face the judgment of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body. See that everything I've done, not just what I've said, but everything I've done has been recorded. Also, everything I've not done that I should have done. There's nothing missed. There's nothing left out. Everything that we've done is on record some way, somehow. And God, being God, must bring everything into account. Why? Because it is written. It is known. It is history. It is real. It is transgression. All of it must be accounted for. And so Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But hold on. What's he been talking about here in the fourth and the fifth chapter He's talking about the judgment here and and appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. But he says this in chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man's decaying, yet our inner man's being renewed day by day. What's he talking about? Renewed? An energy? Just watch your television. You'll see the commercials. Oh, buy this. You'll have more energy. Take this. It'll clear up your, your, your what? Your memory. Yeah, that's it. You won't have any more brain fog. Just buy this stuff and take. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about spiritually. And as far as our relationship with God goes, it's renewed every day. What do we read in Lamentations and we sing the song? The steadfast love of the Lord comes every now and then, never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. Yes, everything's recorded, the bad as well as the good. But the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. If the writer of Lamentations could put that down, what could we put down now based on the sacrifice of Christ? Yes, the inner man is renewed day by day. Verse 17, this is... 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Momentary light afflictions producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we were in this tent, we groan. Talking about our bodies being the tent. 
And we're groaning in this tent, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. He who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge. We're going to make it through the judgment. We're going to be all right. Not because our good things will outweigh the bad. That has nothing to do with it, but because of Jesus Christ. God has put his spirit in us because we have put his son on in baptism. That's the history of the church at Corinth. And if that is your history, you will not have to fear the judgment. I, I wonder, sometimes I, I imagine it'll, it'll be like this. We're gathered. Do you remember what Jesus said about the sheep and the goats? Matthew chapter 25. Great judgment of God. God's sitting on the throne. The sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. I wonder if we'll be brought before the throne. And the record of our sin will be there for everyone to see. And then God will say, with his son there, not only as our advocate, but as the one who's paid for all of our sin, bang, with a gavel, not guilty. Not guilty. Because of your faith, I've conferred my righteousness on you, and all this is wiped away. Think of the relief. You know we can enjoy that relief right now by faith, because it's wiped away right now. That's why the inner man is renewed day by day. But think of, think of the devastation in the minds of those who are outside of Christ. If they are there to see that happen. Wow. All those times I heard about Jesus Christ and I put it away. All those times I learned about truth and I denied it. All those times I could have made a decision for what was right I knew about Jesus, I knew about the gospel, and I did nothing about it. And here are these people, they've got sin like I've got sin, but all their sins being wiped away by the blood of Christ. Why not mine? Well, because I never did anything about it. I don't know how it'll, how it'll be, but I wonder if it might somehow be like that. This morning it struck me, and I, I even I kind of felt guilty after I did the prayer cards, and, and it, it's just one of those things. But you get a card that tells you about a four-year-old boy being killed. And, and we know children die every day. But this was, this was Hera. This was someone that some of our people know. Four years old. Is the record of his life written down? Yes, it's written down. What will he face in the judgment? Not a thing, because he's, he's as pure as pure can be. But it will also be written down, I believe, for his parents, what they suffered through. Perhaps there will be grace for them in one way or another because the suffering, the loss of a child, and the pain that goes along with that. And I think you and I will get the same kind of grace in one way or another because God looks down on us and he understands our weakness. He sent his son into this earth, and you read about this in Hebrews, the second and the fourth chapter especially. Now Jesus took on flesh for the suffering of death. Because those he loved and those he came to save were in the flesh. And he came and he took part in our suffering. 33 years he lived. What was his house like? If he had one, it would have been probably his mom and dad's because I don't think he had one after that. He gave that up to go on the road with his apostles. 
How good was his food? I don't know. Did he have plenty of food? I don't know. How good were his clothes? We know when he was crucified, he had a pretty nice garment because they didn't want to tear it up. So they gambled over it. That was to fulfill what was written in the Psalms a thousand years before it happened. But Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. And then you read on every page of the Gospels how he was demeaned, lied about, confronted, contradicted. The Son of God, (laughs) the one who spoke the universe into existence, is putting up with all of this in the three years of his ministry, and not just from the general population or the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests, but also sometimes from his own apostles, giving him grief. And he's got to straighten everything out because everything's crooked. And then he's put to death for it in a horrible way, about the most horrible death that anybody could die. So he's taken part in our suffering. He's taken part in our difficulties. God knows what it's like to lose a son, an innocent son, and he hurts with us. All that's written down. But it's also written down that there is a Savior. That's the one we've been talking about that. And my response to him is going to be written down. And regardless of all the things I've done that are wrong, and regardless of all the irresponsibilities that I've had and not doing the things that were right, regardless of all the things that have come out of my mouth that should never have come into my mouth, and those things that have come into my mind and stayed there because I entertained them, they shouldn't have been in my mind, all that's going to be wiped away one of these days in front of everyone because of the cross. Guess how I know that? Is it not written? Is it not written that that's how it's going to be? So we don't just read history. We read the future. We read your future and my future and how it's going to be in the judgment based on what Jesus Christ has done. And so, yes, John, take this message to the world. Isn't that what he said this morning? This Christianity is contagious. And if we could just get people to to listen just a little bit to these things, I don't know how it couldn't be contagious. That was a great lesson this morning, wasn't it? Yes. Somebody was saying earlier today how grateful we should be to be in a place where not that we can simply freely assemble, but when we freely assemble, we got guys like John and Titus, like Mike. We, we got guys who can really teach us from whom we can learn. Get our wheels turning. Get our thoughts to going. Put our minds on Christ, like Paul wrote. If you've been risen with Christ, set your mind on things above. That's why you come here, isn't it? Set your mind on God and things above. Because it's written, there'll be a reward. One last passage we'll look at regarding things that are written. When you look at Revelation chapter 21, John has gotten the vision of the new Jerusalem that has come down out of heaven. And I believe what he's getting a vision of is the church. The new Jerusalem. The church is spoken of as the new Jerusalem elsewhere, but here we are looking at Revelation 21. He's talking about things that won't ever come into the church, won't ever come into this new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, verse 27, Nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written, whose names are written where? In the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If it is, no worries. 
If it's not, you better do everything you can to get it in there. Jesus will write it in. As soon as you come to him and obey his gospel with faith in his godhood, he'll put it down for you. Put your name in his book of life. And if your name is there, glory be to God. You're one of the blessed. Don't you want everyone to have their name written there? Yes, absolutely. Well, let's bring this lesson to a conclusion. Things that are written down are written for us. That's what was written in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29. The secret things belong to whom? They belong to God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things that are written down belong to us and our children. How long? Forever. So until the Lord comes back, we need to be talking about, we need to be preaching, we need to be living those things that are written down. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If you are outside of Christ tonight, we want to talk to you about that and help you understand how to come into Christ. If you need the prayers of this congregation, we are so happy to pray for you with whatever your needs might be. Let's stand and sing the song of encouragement and invitation. <laughs>